Discussing the news that matters. Light Breakfast Front Page. On front page with me this morning, Zurairi A.R., senior journalist at Malay Mail and Ku Ping, political analyst. Good morning, gentlemen. Hi, morning. Now, it looks like patients uh, need not worry about any price hikes in healthcare, says Private Specialists Association, <laughs> following um, government's move to allow private doctors, specialists, and even dentists to set their own consulting fees. Now, the fee schedule has been lifted because uh, specialist fees are currently low and below the normal range in developed countries, how can we guarantee that doctors will charge patients fairly? Keeping? Well, I think that it is difficult. I mean, there's going to be only one way for the fees and it's definitely going to increase. Yeah. And based on current situation, I think uh, particularly in Malaysians in the B40 category, the B40 segment, uh, I don't think there are quite a number of them who can afford specialty trip. Yeah. So this y- is a fact. Yeah. yeah. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I don't think we can uh, ever be not worried about a price hike. Uh, I personally think that health is one sector that needs to be regulated. You cannot just uh, let market forces uh, determine uh, the prices of uh, private practices. And, and I, I worry because uh, without regulation, you can have collusion between uh, private practices. They could just easily hike the price and there's no ceiling. I mean, I agree with that. I mean, it has to be regulated because of the structure of the Malaysian society. Right. I mean, by and large, more than 50% of the people are earning 2,000 ringgit and below. Mm-hmm. If you want to lift a uh, cap on specialist fees, then the government needs to have a structure. I mean, number one, for example, there needs to be an insurance policy so that uh, those with pre-existing condition, mm-hmm. those with uh, NCDs, for example, are also covered. Because these are the groups of people that uh, would, would, would require at some point, yeah, special right. treatment. Yeah. That said, though, I mean, because uh, these fees have been stagnant for so many years, I mean, is it fair, though, for these specialists to not have a way to increase no, of their course, own yeah. income? Yeah, I mean, they, they deserve an increase. I, I understand why the government is taking this step. I mean, regulating uh, is going to cost them, and that is why... And they are just letting the market forces uh, determine it instead. But I, I, I still do not think that this is a good decision because I, I worry that this may put further pressure into our public health system. Our public hospitals and our clinic kesihatan are already packed and doctors are already stressed out, maxed out as mm-hmm. it is. I mean, if the prices go up in private practices, more people. More people I mean, we are, we are already seeing people who are at first getting the treatments in private hospitals, but just because they couldn't afford it, they continue in public hospitals and de- they demand the same as the treatment that they're getting at private hospitals but of course they're not going to get mm. that and instead they complain because of that. Right. Won't a move like this encourage more doctors to go into the private sector since they can determine their own fees? I mean for sure. I mean it's all about demand yeah. supply and you know, you, when you have demand you have better rates as well. Uh, definitely doctors are going to move there. So it is something that we, you know, we, we cannot control. So that's why in policy making you have to look at all aspects. You can't just be looking at, okay, we leave the cap on one thing. By the end of it, there is no safety net that actually covers people who will need the service. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be probably half of the population. Uh, but they do not have the means to be able to seek for specialist services. All because right. fees are going to increase. Right? And a coalition of student associations in University of Malaya have been issued a show-cost letter by the Higher Institution of Learning after organizing a talk on social movements in Hong Kong and Taiwan last month. I'm, I'm just wondering why this is an issue. Is it because this is a student body organizing these talks and the university is worried it will encourage more protests among 
their own students. Uh, I think it's just that everybody's afraid of China. <laughs> who is? Who is right. not? I mean, uh, and and I because University of Malaya, I mean, for such a big and prestigious uh, institution, I guess they just do not want to ruffle uh, any feathers. I mean, they, I, if I'm not mistaken, they also have the country's oldest uh, Chinese studies department. I think so. Definitely, there's a link with China there, but I think ultimately it's because UM is not exactly. I mean, the management is not exactly taking a progressive stance on many issues. Uh, for example, the recent uh, kerfuffle with the degree, right? And this mm-hmm. one, uh, it's pretty much concerning the same group of student activists, and I think this is just part of the trend of their them trying to clamp down on a more progressive uh, student movements rather than ones that they can control themselves. Yeah, your thoughts, Kevin? Well, I mean, this is, uh, you know, I'll put it in one word, it's just like unnecessary. You know, I think that whatever, you, whether you are afraid of a third country, whether you're afraid of a foreign power or not, I think uh, they will have to be sticking consistently mm-hmm. with the freedom of uh, movement in universities, political association, freedom of thoughts and discourse. I think that has to be upheld. I mean, that event came and went without Any yeah. any problem at all, yes, right? Exactly. It's just a talk. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, just a talk, right? And students should be allowed to talk about that because it's a real thing happening. Mm-hmm. And whatever happened in Hong Kong is actually more than just political rhetoric. There are also a very strong socio-economic undertones. Mm-hmm. And I think Malaysia as a country should also be able to learn about that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how does this help the spirit of open Correct. discourse if you know these events are going to be policed and micromanaged by... Yeah. You know, At least the students the try to talk about it. You know, they try to have civil dialogue, mm-hmm. engagement in trying to understand the whole situation. Yeah, gr- granted in yeah. a lot of our education institutions we are getting more and more freedom these days after uh, the change of government. But I think... Certain people are just slow to catch up to this, you know. Yeah. So UM get with the program. <laughs> All right. <laughs> up next, looks like uh, PKR Deputy President Datuk Sri Azman Ali says he's ready to reconcile with his president, Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim. This after a very eventful weekend where punches were thrown, people walked out, and there were fiery speeches left, right, and center. So last week, Azmin and Anwar presented as united, and you know what all happened over the weekend. I don't know about you, but I'm confused because this cycle appears to be repeating itself over and over. And the same reconciliatory tone made after every incident. So when all attempts at, you know, trying to reconcile seem to not avail of anything, is there really a point in continuing to try and make, you know, things different? Well, I mean, they have to continue because it is a government at stake. Right. All right. And they all know that PKR being the largest party in the coalition, if there is a split happen right in the middle... I think it's the end of the current government. Mm. And all of them have stakes in it, including Asmin and also Anwar Ibrahim for, the, for that purpose. So it, it's a choice. But unfortunately, the events, as you mentioned, happening over the weekend yeah. uh, do not seem to point that way. And usually when there's a reconciliation, uh, you will also have a truce. You will also bring the matter internally. Mm. But it seems that all things are out in the open. Uh, each of them have their own events. And rhetorics and punches were thrown. So at the end of the day, I think the two leaders will really have to come to reality. What do they actually want? Not only for their political career, mm-hmm. but the direction of the country as well, because they are now the ruling government. Right. Yeah. Your thoughts, Zuraiwi? <laughs> well, I know, and as mean, what would us reporters do without you? <laughs> <laughs> were you there at these events? No, no I wasn't. Uh, but... The, the thing with Anwar Nazmin is that he's been going on for years. I mean, mm-hmm. and I can totally see where 
each of them is coming from. Azmin has been carrying the party ever since Anwar was in prison. And Anwar, of course, you know, has been the linchpin of the party. You can say that he's the he's the reason that the party was formed. Mm-hmm. So th- this clash of ego has been going around for some time and it could never stop. Why? Because as long as Anwar is there, Azmin just cannot go up. And mm-hmm. I think that's partly the but, problem. But Azmin is younger, isn't it? I mean, he, uh, yeah, he can't actually wait it out. <laughs> in, in, in that respect, it's probably it's not, probably, not yeah. impatient or yeah. whatever. But yeah, yeah. Let, let's let's forget about Anwar and Azmin here for a while. I mean, mm-hmm. while we still have these two, at the same time, we are also stopping a lot of the younger politicians in both factions from going up. So I right. think that's the more important part here. It looks like gloomy prospects for job seekers next year. A bank economist has predicted a guarded job market next year with employers erring on the side of caution when it comes to hiring while employers' organization expects vacancies next year to be for low-level positions. Um, how challenging do you feel the job market will be in 2020? Well, I think it's not only specific to next year. It has been a structural problem for Malaysia. I mean, look at previous years as well. Majority of the jobs created are actually at the low-skilled level anyway, mm. more, more than 80%. And if you look at statistics again, the top-level job, right, the skilled jobs are only probably less than 5% created. So that's why we have a mismatch between the graduates that we create and the job opportunities that the market actually offer. Right. So it has been a structural problem and that has to be resolved. If economy is going to go on a downturn, I mean, there are all you know possible signs going going that direction. Mm-hmm. I think it's just going to be worse. Your thoughts, Zuraiwi? Yeah, I think uh, I think the problem here is that employers are trying to cut costs, right? So, yeah. And that's why they're not uh, hiring as much and they are just refusing to pay uh, employees more. And mm-hmm. I think that it has created a, a job uh, environment that is not very attractive for both sides. On what basis is The Economist coming up with these predictions? <laughs> well, of, of course, you have a lot of index that you can refer to. But even if you don't look at this data, I mean, I think you can sort of feel it, right? I mean, yes. I, mean I, I cannot be the only one who is, who is feeling that not only this year, but next year is still going to be tough. Mm. Uh, and it's not so much just because of the new government, but there are just so many factors around uh, global economic downturn, slow economy. Right. What can the workforce do to make themselves more employable? Well, I mean, it has to take two to tangle. It does, uh, doesn't it? it I does mean, you can make yourself as employable as anything, exactly. but if no one's going to hire you yeah. at your rate... Yeah. Mm. I think what needs to be done is that the employers need to push for more technology adoption. They mm. really have to improve. They really have to move up the value chain. Otherwise, the kind of jobs that are created are going to be very labor-intensive. Mm. And labor-intensive kind of work is not appropriate because for a long time, it has been geared towards cheap foreign labor. It's not suitable for Malaysian workers. So I think they have got to look at that aspect as number one. And number two, with technology adoption, then I think that will give direction to the job seekers to upskill themselves. Uh, I think the onus is definitely not on the workers here. I mean, it's it's all down to the employers here. I think uh, right now we have a lot of people complaining as if that the you know the graduates are being picky. Or, of course, they are being picky. I mean, yeah. how can you expect them to take a job with the wage that is still stagnant for how many decades? And mm-hmm. more and more, we are having employers expecting staff to do more work for the same pay. I yeah. think one indicator is that Malaysia is ranked fourth in terms of worst 
work-life balance condition, right? <laughs> People work very hard, but uh, at the same time, we are lowly paid. So there is, uh, you know, there, there is a problem. Right. Well, coming up, a person who doesn't have this problem is Halim Saad. <laughs> Tansri Halim Saad and a partner are now the front runners to buy over Highway Concessionaire Plus Malaysia Berhad after the two up their previous offer by over a third, according to Business Weekly, The Edge. So, yes, um, they have offered more money and more discounts on toll rates than the recommended 18%. Would this make sense from a business perspective? Zrairi? <laughs> It, it does feel like 90s all over again, you know? Yeah. Uh, Halim Saad back in picture, Motal, Bukhari buying off papers, <laughs> Dr. Mahdi in power, <laughs> and Daim running things again. But yeah, but I think it's an offer that the government just cannot refuse because they already said that they cannot fulfill their election manifesto of, uh, you know, abolishing tolls. And whoever that can provide cheaper toll rates is definitely going to win. I'm not sure how Halim Sain and his company will uh, profit here but I think mm. anyone that gets plus will definitely profit as well. Um, it's pro- the biggest uh, chain of highways in our country and you know there's no reason that there will that, that revenue will not go up so it's, a, it's an easy cash cow I think. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, my Keep thought it. is that it is wrong for the government to do that. I mean, if you look at the situation for PLAS, it has actually more assets than its debt. Mm. It's, it, if you look at the balance sheet, it's actually quite quite healthy. Uh, number two, it has generated $27 billion in toll collections. So it is a cash cow. It's something that continues to generate money. Mm-hmm. By the end of the day, to say that, okay, the government can't fulfill its promise, and hence it has to hand over to a private company. Mm-hmm. That defeats the purpose because it can actually promise to reduce toll by 25 to 30% at this moment, but it doesn't guarantee that toll is not going to go up next. <laughs> yeah. All right? Yeah. So it, yeah. no private companies or private individuals and investors are going to do a national service because that goes against the rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. Anything in business, if they're going to put so much money into it, definitely they want some money back. Of course. Yeah. So PLUS should actually be run by the government, but it should be run on a non-profit basis if you really want to help the people, mm-hmm. right? But over the years, we have seen that why PLUS is in this situation because it continues to pay out dividends to the government, to EPF, at a rate that it cannot afford. All of this sounds interesting and, uh, you know, the discounts that we're thinking um, that might happen sounds great, but do you feel that we can afford the impact of these discounts as road users in the long run? Here's the thing, I mean, as road users, discounts may be good, but, you know, th- there are many more ways to help commuters, you know, for example, public transport, or as, as it is, if you're driving, prices of uh, fuel is going to relatively go up next year after subsidies uh, taken out for uh, round 95. All in all, a discounting tool may help somewhat, but right. in, in the long term, I'm, I'm not sure how it will actually yeah. elevate cost of living and care. So I made, made a very good point. Uh, if you really want to help the people to reduce the cost of living, mm-hmm. uh, reduction of toll is not the only way. Public transport needs to be improved. And private transport is, is definitely the way of bringing down uh, mobility costs or transport costs. All right. Well, interesting thoughts. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining me this morning. Thank you. That was Ku Keping, independent political analyst, and Zurairi AR, senior journalist at Malay Mail for Front Page.